You're listening to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast with Davina Frederick. Hello, and welcome to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. Our mission is to provide thought-provoking, powerful, and practical information to help you in creating your own sustainable, wealth-generating law firm without overwork or overwhelm so you can live your best life. I'm your host, Davina Frederick, and I'm here today with attorney Tanya Williams, founder and CEO of the Skilled Advocate Company. The Skilled Advocate Company provides advocacy training workshops for lawyers who are new to practice or new to litigation or appellate practice because they believe better lawyers make better advocates and achieve better results for their clients. Welcome, Tanya. We're so happy to have you here today on the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. Thank you so much, Davina. It's great to be here. Good, good. So uh, you are down in, you are in West Palm Beach, Florida, correct? Yes. Okay, great. So uh, tell us about your journey before we get into the skilled advocacy company, the skilled advocate company, sorry. Um, tell us a little bit about your journey to becoming an attorney and, and leading up to what you're doing today. Okay, so um, that's actually a loaded question. So here, here's, <laughs> here's why. Here's why it's loaded. It's act, it's actually probably the first time I'm going to tell the story out loud to someone who's not a family or friend. Um, and when I say not a family or friend, I mean a close friend because I do I do consider us, you know, e friends. But right. so my journey started. My mom would tell me that from I was a little kid, from I was about five, I would, you know, always have to argue my points. And then when I got siblings, I would try to mediate between the two of them and try to argue as to why none of us needed to get in trouble. But the truth is, I grew up on law and order. And I knew when I grew up, I wanted to be Jack McCoy. And I wanted to be a prosecutor. That's all I wanted to do. And then... One day in 1989, my mom got a phone call, and the phone call was to tell her to come and pick up her car that was in Connecticut, because that's where my father got arrested. And we went through that process, and I remember sitting in the courtroom as a kid, because I was 11 at the time, Mm -hmm. during the holidays, and the judge looking at him and saying, I know you want to go home. I see your family here, but that's not going to happen. At that moment in time, I decided that's who I wanted to be, because in my head, that person in that robe had the most power in that room and had the ability to give me the one thing I wanted for Christmas and chose not to. And I wanted to be in that position, not to be in a person, not to be a person of power, but to be fairness in that robe. Mm -hmm. Um, because in my little head, it was unfair. As I got older and became a prosecutor myself, I know, I now know it was fair based on the circumstances, but that was what cemented my path for me, you know, at 11 years old, sitting in the back of a courtroom, hoping my dad was going to come home and he wasn't. Yeah. That's so so powerful. So powerful. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Thank you. That's how my path started. And I've been on it ever since. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you, you went to law school and, uh, did you love trial work when you were in law school? Were you, were you on the 
trial team or moot court or so here's the funny thing i was actually uh i was i was on moot court i knew nothing about my trial while i was in law school i Uh just knew i wanted to be jack mccoy that's all i knew i had no idea (laughs) (laughs) i had no idea that prosecutors made peanuts at the time I just knew, you know, that's what I wanted to do. So I did do moot court. I did law review because that's what they told us we had to do. And that was what I did. But I didn't do trial ad or, well, let me rephrase. I didn't do mock trial. I did trial ad because I wanted to do a clinic with the state attorney's office because I found Mm -hmm. out that's how you get hired. So I did do advanced trial ad and things like that in order to um, get my requirements in order mm-hmm. to be a certified legal intern and go to the prosecutor's office my last semester at law school. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Okay. And so you can't, you worked in the prosecutor's office and, mm-hmm. and then where did you go from there? Okay. So this is where my uh, resume gets schizophrenic. Okay. That's what I did. <laughs> Because I did. I started as a prosecutor in Orlando and I was there for three years, tried more cases than some small firms put together Mm -hmm. because I think I tried, I tried somewhere between 70 to a hundred cases before I left. Wow. Um, And I did everything from misdemeanors, juvenile to felonies. And then I decided that I was going out to L.A. because I was going to get an LLM in media and entertainment law, and I was going to go be an entertainment lawyer because I was going to go walk the red carpet with Will Smith. That's what entertainment lawyers do. That's what I was going to do. That's not what entertainment lawyers do, but I didn't find that out until I was there. <laughs> I never saw Will Smith. I did see Harrison Ford, though, who is rather short. But, oh, wow, um, really? Wow. Give yes, all the dirt. We're getting all the dirt here today. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Walked right past him on the street. But uh, so I saw a couple people, never saw Will, who was, you know, the man of my dreams at the time. But I fell in love with copyright and trademark. And then I came back to Florida because my mom was getting sick a little more than I wanted her to. And having to hop a flight to come home every time just wasn't conducive. So I moved back to Florida in 2008 and started doing foreclosures like everyone else during that time for a civil firm down in Miami. And then Nova, where I went to law school down in Fort Lauderdale, they had a moment of plenty and literally overbooked the school by an entire section. So a friend of mine who was the dean over the academic resource program, she asked me to help her out and come and teach that additional section, critical skills. So I did that for that year. And I was like, okay, all right, I did it. It was a little more than I thought it was going to be, but I did it. And then two weeks before I was supposed to be done and go back to my whole litigating life, someone quit. And that was two weeks before orientation. And she was like, um, about that. (laughs) Wait a minute. So I ended up going into the position full time and taught law students for six years and started to put the LLM to work by teaching entertainment law. And I started to get involved with the trial teams and trying to make sure that I kept everything sharp. I was still practicing because I still ran a foreclosure portfolio um, on the plaintiff side while I was working at Nova, at least for the first couple of years. And did that for six years. 
And then around 2015, um, I decided I wanted to come back out into full-time practice and came back out doing insurance defense. So between foreclosures and insurance defense, I got more motion practice and all sorts of experience than I thought I would ever need. And I became an appellate lawyer, believe it or not. Wow. And did the appeals for the office. Um, so it gave me a different perspective on being a trial lawyer. I still right. prepped everyone for trial and made sure they did everything they needed to do and get the exhibits and all that stuff or whatever. But I was looking at it now from a different perspective. Right. And then in 2016, my life shifted and I had to shift with it. <laughs> I was like, okay, all right, here we go. Um, and now I was working for myself and I was out on my own. Yeah. Yeah. And then what led you to create the Skilled Advocate Company? So while I was at NOVA, um, I actually taught Bonita, the National Institute of Trial Advocacy. And I taught to them for a few years and taught in their trial advocacy program. Mm -hmm. Saw, you know, different attorneys come through there, different skill levels, and tried to help them as best as I could. So now in 2016, actually 2017, I had been on my own for about six months and was having an existential crisis is what I call it. I was literally having a conversation with God while I was at Tires Plus. <laughs> and it went something <laughs> like this. I, was, I can relate to that. Place. I can relate to that. I've met a lot of people can relate to that. <laughs> I was waiting for my breaks to get done. And I was like, look, Jesus, because this, this is how I talk to God. And I'm very glad that I still have air in my lungs. I was like, listen here, Lord. I mean, um, like, this isn't working for me. This whole running a firm, the way people tell you to, and you got to be the rainmaker, you got to do this. You got, I hated it. I hated the thought of it. I just hated it. I just wanted to practice. That's all I ever wanted to do. I never wanted to run a business. And I was like, right. if this is your plan for my life, then I need to, I, I need to at least not hate it every single day. Right. And I sat there and I was like, okay, Tanya, what do you like to do? I said, well, I like, I love doing trials. And I like teaching. How do I put the two together? Mm -hmm. I said, well, um, I think that I can teach lawyers how to do trials. I mean, Nita has their niche, but my delivery is different. And my, my, my persona, the, the way I deliver the information, the way I connect, it's just different. And I was like, there's right. no need right. for them to be the only person in the space. So I tried to figure out how to serve solos and small firms and do something that I like doing every day. And as I was sitting there at Tires Plus, I created, and it's almost cliche, on the back of a sheet of paper. So not quite a napkin, but on the back of a sheet of paper, right, right. <laughs> I fleshed out what this company would look like, how I would run it, what the workshops would look like. And that was the birth of the Skilled Advocate Company in April wow. of Talk about divine inspiration. Divine listen. inspiration at to Tires Plus. <laughs> it, listen, <laughs> just sitting there like, God, I just, I know I'm not supposed to work for someone anymore, but you're going to have to help me because I don't like this. I don't like the traditional you know, grinding, what is it, going out. What is it that you didn't point. like about it? I think, well, for one, I always said I never wanted to run a firm. So I, when the way I was raised, 
You never talked to somebody because you wanted something. And that's Uh what networking felt like. It felt like you were only talking to people because you want something. And I couldn't get past that mental block. And I was, for my civil experience, it's been insurance defense. So that has always seemed like something where you have to have a lot of money in order to make sure that you're reaching adjusters, you're taking them out, you're doing what you need to do, at least the way that I was taught to do it. So I didn't have that. So I was trying to figure out how to survive. And it's like, I love the freedom of working for myself, but the freedom of money not to show up, I was I was not driving with that one. I was like, no, only right. one of us can be free and money cannot be the one that's free. So, <laughs> so it was that's just right. like, there's a conflict here. Right. Um, and, and that's really what it was. It was that, you know, they don't teach us in law school how to run a firm. They just teach us how to think. And that's it. Yeah. And with that, yes, there's so much you can do. And then there's so much that you can't because you just right. don't know how to do it. Right. So right. I decided that I was going to try to figure out how to do something that I want to do. And I still have a traditional practice only because, like I said earlier, I have um I want to become a judge one day. And I know that in order to do that, there are certain boxes that I still have to check whether I want to check them or not. So I keep my traditional practice. um, But my love and the thing that I'm pouring a lot of time, sweat and energy into is making better lawyers. Right, right. So I want to delve into that a little bit um, and talk about, I think it's a wonderful mission to focus on, you know, this better lawyers make better advocates and achieve better results for their clients. I mean, I, I love that because I think, I think it's really desperately needed. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're in law school, you've got three years, you're trying to cram everything in and most of it is theoretical. And, and if you don't get a lot of trial practice or experience, and then you go out and suddenly you're like, okay, what am I supposed to do? And you and I have talked about being both of us being introverted kind of people. And I know a lot of attorneys are very uh, cerebral and introverted as a result, maybe. And um, and I think there is a, a lot of times, uh, particularly with women attorneys, because, you know, a lot of my clients are women attorneys, women law firm owners. There's a lack of confidence in the courtroom. And I think that that costs us money, quite frankly, Mm -hmm. it takes money out of our pockets if we don't have those litigation skills, because as a litigator, you can make it's, you can make more money, you know, than you can as a, unless you're working for the prosecutor's office or the public defender, (laughs) but in private practice, right. Then you can, if you don't have those skills. And even if you're not doing litigation, having a really a clear understanding of what really goes on in a courtroom even if you don't do it forever, having that experience Mm -hmm. is hugely helpful and and really increases your confidence in representing clients because then you don't have that fear. I mean, if they threat, oh, we're going to go to court, you're like, all right, let's go, you know? Right. So have you found, I mean, have you found that experience? I mean, your clients who come to you, what do they say and how do they feel before they start working with you? What are some of the things that they say to you that tell you why they come to you? So one of the things that I hear a lot, and I actually uh, 
started to use it in the advertising, not because I wanted to exploit the pain point, but because I've lived the pain point. Meaning, mm-hmm. as women attorneys, there are things we deal with that a man will never deal with. That's just the truth of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was actually explaining it to a client just yesterday why it is I lawyer the way I lawyer. Because we come into the courtroom and we are perceived to be everything except the lawyer. That's like the last thing that we are. Especially if you're a woman of color like myself. Oh, Mm -hmm. that is not who you are at all. And when I started as a prosecutor, um, I have a very young face. Even though I'm much older than I look, when I started, you do look very young. You do look very young. <laughs> Thank you. Now you start I am talking racist. about dates and all that. I'm like, oh wow, you've been this a long time. You're like me, Listen, right? And, I've uh, been doing this for seventeen. Hold on, wait, almost eighteen years now as yeah. a lawyer, and I am I'm in my forties and. I embrace it now. Now I tell people, I'm like, listen, the oil of Olay is just working wonders. But when I was a kid, (laughs) I hated it. But I started as a prosecutor at 24 years old in Orlando. And I got a lot of, sweetie, can you tell me when the prosecutor gets here? Uh. Or, oh, this is going to be easy. Or, you know, I had... I had attorneys that thought because of my gender and my race, they were going to own the courtroom. And at first, some of them did because I didn't know. I knew my rules, but I didn't know how to push back properly because I would always I would kind of shrink down because, again, you're the only one like you in the courtroom that's not in an orange jumpsuit. So you're working through all of that mentally. And I and you start to feel bullied. You start to feel intimidated. There are people where they will push you. They will try everything they know they can't until they realize that you know the rules. And I've had participants come to the workshops and they will say just that. They'll say, oh, my God, Tanya, you know, like I was in court and I feel like this guy just kept bullying me with objections because he would just make objections when there was nothing to object to. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly what he was doing. And until you respond confidently, he's going to keep doing it because right. they know they've got you on the hook. So I do, I do have a conversation with them about how to push back and how to push back in a way where everybody backs up. Everybody in the courtroom understands, no, I belong here and you're not going to treat me how it is that you think you're going to treat me. Right. Because it's true. We do. We as women, we're taught to soften our voice. We're taught to shrink down. We're taught to not fully walk in who we are because it will intimidate or it will seem aggressive or everything that we do, a man can do and nobody bats an eyelash. The moment we do it now, it's a whole nother situation. Um, And I've, I've had to address that. And then for all participants, male or female, it's true. I've been an insurance defense attorney. I know exactly how adjusters think and they are only going to pay as much money as they absolutely have to. Well, guess mm-hmm. who gets more money? The person who will go to trial. Mm-hmm. That's just the way it works. Yeah. And they know who will and who won't. So you're going to have to make sure that you have the skills to show them, oh, no, 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 no. If you want to pick a jury, let's pick a jury. 
<laughs> I have no yeah. problem with that. Yeah, right now. <laughs> That's it. Let's go. I will get six people in this box and we will go to town. And then the insurance adjuster will be like, oh, OK, so you said you needed how much? OK, we're probably not going to give you that much, but we'll give you this much because right. there, there's there's a level that they'll go to pre-suit because they know all the people who will never file a complaint. Then there's a level that they'll go to post filing because they know all the people who will never go to trial. One of the very first things we did was look up the other attorney and see how many trials they have or how many opinions are out there in their name. Oh, wow. That's what we did. (laughs) So you you have to. Yeah. So your competition is looking. They're looking Mm -hmm. to see. Because it's a psychological game that they're playing with you. They're preying on those insecurities and those doubts. And that lack of confidence. And so you really have to step into it. You do. Wow. And, you know, the problem that you expressed um, about being, assuming that you're everything in the courtroom, but who you are, right? But, but an attorney, that is, that is a really, uh, you and I hear this problem discussed a lot among women attorneys. It is a real issue. And it's something that, uh, you know, men don't realize that, 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 that's that kind of silent, um, well, it's microaggression, you know, right, or, exactly. or it's aggression, aggression, <laughs> wow, you look exactly. at it, right, right? Exactly. you know, that happens in a courtroom, and it does, and I know, I know the problem is even more, uh, you know, more so for women of color, mm-hmm. absolutely, absolutely, mm-hmm. and so you bring up a very powerful point, so let's talk about some of the skills that you teach and, okay. and then we'll get into sort of how you teach and, and what's going on uh, because I know you've got some exciting things going on, but talk to me about some of the skills that you teach. You have a number of different programs. Yes. So um, our most popular program is our Objections mini series. Mm-hmm. It's a two-part program in that it's two half-day courses where I do objections in the morning, generally what they are, how they work, how to understand them, go through some of the most common objections and their definitions and how they work. And then in the afternoon, we do hearsay because nobody understands hearsay. People on the bench don't understand hearsay. Hearsay is like Mandarin Chinese, you know? So (laughs) it's just, what? I don't understand. (laughs) So I, we do the mini series, um, which is, usually something that everybody needs, no matter what they do. Uh, And then there's the full trial advocacy boot camp, where that's four days hands on. I teach you each and every single skill from opening, actually from voir dire all the way through to closing. The only Mm -hmm. thing they don't practice is voir dire, just because of the logistics of trying to get everyone in to have a fake veneer. But they do opening, they do closing, they do directs, they do cross, they do impeachment, refreshing recollection, moving in exhibits, each and every single skill that you Mm -hmm. could do during a trial. I teach it and they do it. A participant is standing on their feet, delivering a direct examination within the first three hours of attending the workshop. Oh, wow. I bet that, I bet you have some people that, 
just about have a meltdown when they get in oh, there yeah. and you tell them that. Oh. <laughs> Without fail, there is one person that always, because we ask for volunteers to go first and it's like crickets. I mean, it's so quiet in there. You oh, can I... hear yourself think. And there's always one person that tries to avoid it as long as they possibly can because yeah. you do, you have shy lawyers, you know? Yeah. Um, and when and, and the general public of, doesn't realize that they don't think of lawyers that way. But no, those of us who are lawyers know that there are a lot of us who are that way. Exactly. And then when you put us in front of other lawyers, oh, heck no, 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 no. <laughs> right, right, right. I, am, <laughs> I am not going to stand up in front of people where their whole job is to pick apart my life. No, I'm not doing it. Yeah, so. judgment. Judgment <laughs> is like the whole, I mean, that's the whole lawyer thing. Exactly. <laughs> we don't need to be a judge to pass judgment. We already, we do that anyway. <laughs> exactly. So it's always hilarious during that first morning while everybody's feeling everybody out and trying to figure out who is who and, you know, and then they realize they're all in the same boat. You know, yeah. everybody's just there to learn. And I will, let me knock on wood. I have not had somebody say that they hated the experience, not mm -hmm. ever. And I've had almost 150 lawyers come through our programs now in the last three years. Wow. And, and it's really two and a half because I think our first workshop was October of 2017. And I remember a couple people always say by the time we get through the first morning, they're like, I've already made my money back. And that makes me feel good. And mm -hmm. it makes me feel good because my concern is always that they're getting not what they paid for, but more than what they expected. Like right. they really feel like they're getting that transformation from not knowing how to get it done to being ready to do it. Right. And confident. Exactly. confident. I, bet, I bet they walk out with so much more confidence. They do. And you and still have some... And it probably carries on in other aspects of their lives. It does. It, it does. it carries on in other aspects of their practice. Because what I've seen so far is, um, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll still be some where they're apprehensive because you've learned the skills, but then to get to, to trial in civil can take forever. Um, and they're still like, oh, my God, I don't know if I can do this. But let's right. say they have an evidentiary hearing or something like that, then they would have something go in their favor and that totally lights them up. I remember one of the testimonials that I use comes from um, Ryan Seba because she is just fan number one. And I love it because Ryan's literal email to me was, oh my God, Tanya, I was just able to keep out opposing counsel's photographs because he didn't know how to lay the foundation. And you just taught me what the foundation was and I was <laughs> able to keep them out. And she was so happy. And she was just like, this was totally worth the money, you know? Right. And it always feels good when people are actually transforming, like they're becoming better lawyers. They practice better. Right. They now know how to work up their cases better. They're not as scared. Like you said, that intimidation and that anxiety is significantly decreased because they're like, oh, I can do this. And I've had people who are fresh out of school. I've had people who have been practicing for 20 years come into the program because they wanted a refresher because they haven't done that many trials. 
and love the program. Yeah, so, I think that's a huge thing that we don't talk about as lawyers. Right. You know, there are, you can have a long career as a lawyer mm-hmm. and only have a few trials. Right. You know, especially full blown beginning to any trials. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You might go and to handle one issue or something like that, depending on your area of practice. And you may go a long time between, I mean, a lot of the certification programs, mm-hmm. you know, require a certain amount of trials and time in court and that kind of thing. And the reason it takes a lot of people to, uh, time to get to the point where they can apply to be board certified with something is because they simply don't have enough trial experience, right? So, so if you're not practicing those skills every day, you do lose them. You do, you know, what even what you did learn and remember is like, what? <laughs> right. And, you know, people probably have their favorite uh, objections, you know, <laughs> they have, they right. pick their favorites of the hearsay uh, exactly. objection and then they know those, but they don't know all, you know, they're like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Right. I forgot about this, right? Exactly. Exactly. And, and I think sometimes it's one of those things where they teach it to us in theory, but until you actually use it, you don't really realize how it works. You right. know, and trying to now fit a square peg in a round hole if you've got the wrong exception that you're trying to use or whatever. And it's like, oh, wait, I could have just done that. And that's what I try to do. So I I deliver the content in a way that anybody can grab it, make sense of it and use it, because mm-hmm. I've learned that everyone does not learn the same. And if you only deliver it in one way, you're going to lose half your room because some people learn visually, some people learn auditory, some people are kinesthetic learners, so they have to put it together and play with it and make it make sense. So I need to hit all aspects of learning in a very short amount of time because our lectures um, for the full boot camp, even though the boot camp is four days, the lectures are only three because in that fourth day, they actually do a trial. So I have to condense a lot of information into a short amount of time because it's really two and a half days because on that Saturday, I give them the afternoon to go work on the trial that they need to do. Wow. So you learn how to teach to a variety of people. You learn how to teach to the person where they are the analytical lawyer. They want the legalese. They want, you know, they want it to sound very proper and very put together. And then there's the person that's like, no, I need you to sound just like me where I have no freaking clue what is going on. I have no idea which way is up and I need to know that's okay. So I have to teach all those people. I have to teach the person where even though they have invested their money in themselves, they're looking at me like, you sure you know what you're doing, lady? Just give me five minutes. (laughs) Give Uh, me five minutes and you'll know I know what I'm doing. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding, no kidding. All those years of teaching have, are really, probably really made such a huge difference in you being able to do this company and really teach other attorneys, you know? So you've, not only have you got the actual in courtroom experience, you actually have a lot of experience as a teacher. So mm-hmm. the combination of that is very, very powerful because I, I do think it takes both. Of, I mean, you could, there are a lot of attorneys who are great, you know, in the courtroom, but they don't know how to teach other people. Right. You know, right. Uh, right. I remember my first trial What I was an intern in the uh, prosecutor's office mm-hmm. and I was literally walking back down to the office from someplace. And uh, one of the, 
young uh, prosecutors there said, oh, you want, you want trial? You need some trial experience? Come on, let's go do a trial right now. And that was my first introduction to a trial. I walked in with him and he, it was something he's telling me as he went in. I don't really think this is going to be, you know, we probably should have just pled this out. I really don't think it's going to be great, but you know, just to give you some trial experience and no kidding. I walked in <laughs> green horn and, and had this trial. Of course, it didn't last very long. And unfortunately for me, the, I was up against a very experienced uh, defense attorney and uh, my witness was an officer and basically the officer lied. (laughs) 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 And yay, I had no preparation. I had no, I had not spoken to him before I walked in this and he lied really. And, Uh And once the defense put on their case, it was very obvious that the officer just let his ego get ahead of everything mm-hmm. else. And uh, yeah, so I lost spectacularly my very <laughs> first trial. But uh, I would not recommend that as the way to go about it. Yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah. The, I the mean, one that I did, I did on my own and I won that one. So I was very, I was very yeah. happy about that. <laughs> but the um, trial by fire is real. <laughs> it, it really is. It really is. And you just get, real. You know, unfortunately, that's the way you know, as attorneys, that's often how we experience. And it's no wonder you have so many attorneys here. Like, I hate this because, Mm -hmm. you know, it it really is that ongoing training and support for our, our skill, because what we do is challenging. It's very challenging. Um, Like you said, if you own your own business on top of that, Mm -hmm. then you add that level of challenge on top of it. So it's, it's super important that uh, attorneys continue to get education and support in all in 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 keeping in developing your skills and in running your business, you know. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because you, you don't just walk out of law school with all that. You don't knowledge. walk out of law school with any of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, what little bit you learn in law school is, you know, you don't learn anything about running a business in law school. But but what little bit you learn in law school, yeah, forget half of it anyway. Because you, you had to replace it with what you needed in order to pass the bar. It's like exactly. you exactly. got to keep putting information in and taking information out all through law school. And then when you get done, it's just like my mind is a sieve. I'm done. I can't. I don't know. And yeah. when I got to the state attorney's office, I think for the first three to six months, because my first three months as an intern, I was like, wait, what? What do you mean I didn't learn anything in law school? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> and they were like, just wait. <laughs> and yeah. then when I was now out on my own doing this, stuff, I was like, oh, my God, I didn't. Le-. For the first six months, I cursed Nova every day. I was just like, what did I pay for? What do you mean? I don't understand. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do this. I have no right, idea what she's right. talking about. What do you mean you need a person for a motion to suppress? Like, I don't just stand here and talk about it. Like, that's what they did in the cases. I, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. And, and you, you know, you don't even, you don't even know what you don't know. That's the sad no. thing. <laughs> you don't even know what you don't know. Um, you have a, an appellate advocacy program. And I want to talk about that because that again, introduces this other level that, all right, so you may go for years, maybe even have a new trial practice, but how often do we get to do appeals and appellate work? You know what I mean? And right. oftentimes people will 
hire a different attorney or get referred to a different attorney if they want to appeal. And so I imagine that is a really good program for uh, attorneys who've been practicing a while and maybe want to shift their career or, you know, advance their skills. Right. So where that is the one program we're still building out. And I've been looking at it from exactly that aspect, meaning Mm -hmm. especially with what we're dealing with right now, a lot of lawyers can't afford to farm out their appeals anymore, you know, Mm -hmm. but a trial lawyer doing an appeal, it's kind of like, you know, that saying where they said, if you have yourself for a client, you're, Mm -hmm. yeah, an attorney who has himself (laughs) for a client. Yeah. Something like that. So. It's kind of the same thing. A trial lawyer doing an appeal can, it can pose significant risks is how I'm going to put it yeah. for a couple of reasons. One, as the trial lawyer, you're so invested in this thing, you might not be able to see the forest for the trees anymore. And you right. have to be able to pull back and look at it and say, okay, objectively, how do I argue to this three-judge panel, um, if you're in Florida, the, that what was done was wrong? Or how do I say what was done was right and defend my verdict? You know, And from a trial lawyer perspective, we are taught the theater of law. We're, we're taught the presentation of the story, how to deliver, you know, essentially a one-act play mm-hmm. to a fact finder. That's not appeals. So right. I've been trying to build out how to help the trial lawyer pivot because that's essentially what you have to do for an appeal if you're going to do it yourself and you're not going to farm it out to an appellate lawyer. I have been blessed to be both so that I have the experience as a trial lawyer and the experience as an appellate lawyer, which I got a real funny oral argument story I'll tell you in a second. Um, Mm -hmm. But everybody, everybody can't do that. Everybody can't make that shift to become an objective counsel where you have to write persuasively, but you absolutely have to deal with all sides of the argument. You have to deal with your side, opposing counsel side, and whatever the heck the law clerks are going to tell the judge they need to ask you about. Right, right. So right. it's not even just two sides that you're managing anymore like you were at trial. So now you have to be able to look at all of that. So one of the things I want to build out is um, an oral argument workshop mm-hmm. where people can come and actually practice because those 15 minutes can go by very quickly if you don't have a plan. Right. And when people start asking you questions, you're like, which way is up? Ground, please open up. So my first oral argument, right, was in front of the second DCA of all freaking DCAs. Mm-hmm. And I'm there, and it's, a, it's the second time this case is going up on appeal. It's a premise liability case where it's man versus palm tree. Obviously, man and his ankles lost. Palm tree won. Um, but it was not great. And they went up first on appeal on motion for summary judgment and lost in that the summary judgment got reversed. That summary judgment should have stayed, but I digress. So now we go through the trial and lose, and now it's up on appeal again. And we're like, all right, we got all the facts out. 
And when you look at all the facts, it's still not gross negligence because that was what our issue was. Right. So here I am, Davina, and I'm giving my first oral argument, and I'm so excited. I got family there because my mother goes to everything. <laughs> and I love her to death. I do. She goes to everything. So she's there. I'm in Tampa. I got friends watching online and all sorts of stuff. And in my head, I am trying to remember which word is not a word, irrespective or irregardless. Now, I know it's irregardless. I know it is. But the panic set in. And I'm trying to sound all proper. I'm trying to sound all educated. And on the screen, listen, I'm pulling out everything that is an SAT word that I can find, which is mistake number one. Okay. And on the screen, live and in color in front of the second DCA, I was like, irregardless, Your Honor. And after I said it, I was like, Jesus, did I just say that? Okay, well, you got to ride with it now. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, okay, great. Um, and yes, we lost, you know, because it's one of those things that a lot of people don't understand. In order to get a judgment reversed, takes a lot of work, especially a jury verdict. So it's understanding all of that, and I'm trying to build that out. I'm trying to build out an oral wow. argument workshop. I'm trying to build out just the appellate process and how it works. Um, and I think that I'm going to put online because that is more conducive to being more lectured and hands-on and trying to help people where they're like, you know what, for the next six months to a year, however long we need to manage this thing, I can't afford to farm out my appeal. I need right. to keep this money in-house. Right. So it's huge. That's huge. Yeah. yeah. Tell us about so that people understand this is not just you someplace doing this. You actually have a, a team as well yeah. to help you with these programs and teach. Mm-hmm. So you've got a lot of different experience that you bring to bear. So tell us a little bit about your team. So um, my staff, believe it or not, didn't I just tell you my mother goes to everything? Oh, my mom, she assists as on-site staff when I do the workshops. Uh, But the faculty, that's all trial lawyers from Mm -hmm. that jurisdiction. So for each and every single workshop, I will reach out to lawyers in the community and try to get people who have been practicing for a significant amount of time to have a significant amount of trial experience, especially jury trial experience, that can serve as faculty because the key thing is getting feedback you can use. I don't use somebody who can't teach you how to get there um, because that's useless to you. You know, you need somebody who can tell you why what you're doing is wrong because they've been doing it for 10, 15, 20 plus years. Our faculty ranges, sometimes I have, uh, I have one friend of mine who assists when I'm in Miami She is a senior judge, and she is on the faculty at FIU Law, Um, and she's got more trial experience than anybody, any of us at all, (laughs) on all sides of the bench. Um, So I try to get experienced faculty. Believe it or not, I do run this as a solo. 
in that I am the main person that does everything. Like I said, my mom does on-site help, and I have a director of operations, which will assist me with, you know, getting the vendor locations, um, getting everything set up with our lunch vendors, because we usually provide everything from soup to nuts, except when we're in certain locations like the University of Miami because food is readily available. But I try to make sure they don't have to worry about anything from the moment they walk in there. The only thing they have to do is take in the information and use it. That's it. Right. right. So when people are hiring this company to help them, I mean, they're getting, they're getting you because a lot of yep. the, a lot of the, that's uh, one of the issues with a lot of um, programs and things that you sign up for now, particularly mm-hmm. online oh, I'm going to get this person. They're going to teach me. And, you know, Mm -hmm. that's the face of the brand or whatever. And then you get in this like, no, they're not. They're the face of the brand, but they're not the ones who are there hands on teaching you. get to work with you with all of your experience and skills um, when they go through your program. That's great. All right. So you and I talked a little bit uh, briefly before we started because we're talking, we're recording this at, you know, while we're all on lockdown, quarantine from this COVID-19 pandemic that is going on. And, mm-hmm. um, and so naturally everybody is having to start thinking about, you know, how do I continue my business? You know, when we all, we, when we can't all meet together right now and meet in person right. and you were sharing with me that you actually last, the end of last year had already begun to start taking a lot of your, uh, programs and materials online and you're continuing that effort, but you've already got some materials up. So we want to hear about that and talk about your programs so that people can maybe use some of this time to access that and start to get a feel of what it's like to uh, work with you. And then when we're all released back out into the sun, <laughs> they can right. sign up for one of your in-person um, you know, programs, maybe in the fall or something. So tell us yes. about that. So, um, yes. So like we were talking about earlier, towards the end of last year, I started to at least think through the template of how do I put these programs online? Because one of the main things that I get every time I do a live workshop is at least one person calls me and says, will it be available online? And the answer was always no, because there's a performance component to the workshop. Um, So I I got the question so often that I said, okay, all right, they would not get the full live experience where you're going to get up and actually practice the skill, but how do I get the information online? And I sat down and came up with a plan and, you know, between COVID-19 and Jesus, it's now starting to come to fruition because our objections course is going to go live on Teachable on Monday. And, um, what we're doing is you will have the PowerPoints forever and you will have the information. You'll get to see my wonderful smiling face welcoming you to the course. But uh, we'll, we're going to put the objections course online, the hearsay course online, and it's going to take me um, a little while, but I'm going to get the trial advocacy boot camp online. And then what I'm going to do is probably add in a, um, a support mechanism so that you can either just do the course at your own speed, however it is you want to do it, or you can do the course and have weekly Q&As with me. 
Because like you said, I am the product in a way in that I am the person delivering the information. And I always want people to feel like they're not out here by themselves, that it's not that I've totally evaporated and I'm just this spaceless, nameless um, company. You know, I really do care about people and care about lawyers being better. So I'm thinking about adding in a weekly Q&A component with the program so that they can reach out to me. And, yeah, when we're released back into the sun, I also do trial consulting uh, where I can sit with people and help them. And, actually, the strategy session I can do virtually right now because our strategy session is where – you get four hours of my time, but you really get more than four hours of my time because you get two hours of my time with us talking through your case and figuring out where it is that you want to go, what your theme and theory is going to be, how to get your evidence in, what's not coming in, and you just need to let that go, um, what may be able to come in if you really grease it up real good. You know, <laughs> So we try to figure out how to get your case to your fact finder the way you want it done. Um, but the other two hours, I spend going through your documents, going through your evidence. And that's why I say they always get more than four hours of my time because it takes me more, way more than two hours to get a full handle on the case. Right. But what happens is in the two hours that we talk, I have been able to short circuit months of work that this poor attorney has been doing, put it in a nutshell and hand them their trial in a nutshell. And now all they have to do is flesh out the question. So that is available online, our um, trial consulting strategy session where I can help you work through your case. One that I had, I think within the first 10 minutes, I changed her entire strategy and she was looking at me like, how the heck did you do that? I was like, like, because I've been doing this forever, one. And two, you said one key statement where I was like, um, they have no case. She said, wait, what? (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. They have no case. So, (laughs) yeah. So I think. I'm sure once people participate in your program, they have, you know, you have, you have a a good community that you're building. I know you have a Facebook page. presence and uh, provide a lot of good information there. And I'm sure once they go through your program, you know, you don't just abandon them after that first, (laughs) they go through your program and then you're like, don't call me again. Um, Exactly. (laughs) Wait for them to keep in in touch with you and reach out to you and continue to support them. Yeah. I do. I do. Good. And tell us about that. Sorry, no. One of the, what I was going to say is one of the things I actually implemented because of that, because I would I would get these follow-up emails and follow-up calls like, okay, Tanya, I know you taught me this, but how does this work? I know you taught me this, but how does this work? Um, and what I ended up creating was actually a subscription program where for yeah. essentially one and a half billable hours per month, um, you get unlimited emails where you can ask me all your evidentiary questions. It's like having an evidence guru in your email inbox. You know, um, uh, and that's probably what I should call it. Evidence guru in your email inbox. Write that down. Write that down. Start exactly. calling your trademark attorney right now. <laughs> exactly. So, um, but yeah, so, you know, for four fifty a month, um, you can ask me as many questions as you want via email and we'll get it figured out, you know, because they yeah. did need some follow up because they still had not dealt with the myriad of things that I've done. 
And ah. it's almost like walking Lexus or Westlaw because instead of having to dig through and burn your time that way, you can send an email and say, Tanya, how does this work? And it's like, oh, that's how you do it. You carry the one, you divide by two, and here yeah, you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's great. If you, if you, especially if you have a small firm and right. you don't have other attorneys there that you can bounce exactly. things off of and talk about, you know, it's great when you have somebody to, that you could have on your team you know, as a brain, as part of a brain trust, you know, and ask those exactly. kinds of questions. All right. So tell us how we can find out more, especially those people who want to go ahead and try to get started on using some of your services now virtually. And then uh, so that they can, so that they won't shame themselves when they go in person. <laughs> you, know, you, do, you know, lawyers do that. We study exactly. Exactly. Tell us how we can find, get in touch with you and find out more about you. So we're all over the internet. Um, our website is skilledadvocacy.com. And Skilled Advocacy is also our handle for Facebook. Uh, I believe that's also our handle for Twitter. Um, they're telling me I need to get on Instagram. It's been slow because I'm like, Jesus, if I have one more uh, social media that I need to manage, I don't know if I'm going to make it, but I'm coming. Uh, don't, do, don't, don't worry about TikTok right now. Let's put it Oh, God, now. no. I just, I can't even. I can't. My mom has Snapchat, which we laugh about all the time because she has Snapchat, but I still have to do everything for her online. But yes, <laughs> we do. We have the skilled advocacy. We have skilledadvocacy.com. Um, and then we have Facebook slash skilled advocacy, which is where we post a lot of our free tips and videos are on Facebook. Um, we're going to have the teachable school. The teachable school is lawyer like a boss. That's the teachable school for the skilled advocate company. Uh, that's where all our online courses are going to be hosted right now. Um, and they can also, of course, just pick up the phone because, you know, at this point, people are actually willing to pick up the phone instead of doing Zoom or something else because you feel like you're doing something different. <laughs> According to according to my recent poll in my group of women law firm owners, uh, yeah, a lot of them would rather talk on the phone than do video. <laughs> exactly. So, so they can give me a call at 561-293-8510. Wonderful. And I'm reachable in all those, all that media. Also, my direct email address is T as in Tanya Williams at skilledadvocacy.com. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. And thanks for everything you share with us today, because I think this is a terrific resource. Um, what you're doing is very powerful. And I'm sure you're really transforming and changing the lives of a lot of attorneys out there, trial attorneys. So thanks so much for that good work. And thanks for being here today. Oh, thank you for having me. I, I Our tagline and really my creed is I am trying to make lawyers better advocates one skill at a time. That's yeah. all we're trying to do. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Thanks, Tanya. Thank you, Davina. The Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast is sponsored by Wealthy Woman Lawyer, LLC. We help women law firm owners build wealth-generating law firms without overwork and overwhelm so they can reclaim their time and create the lives of their dreams. If you are ready to create more of what you truly desire in your business and your life, then you'll want to sign up for our free training, How to Transform Your Solo Practice into a Seven-Figure Firm with Total Ease. Register at WealthyWomanLawyer.com slash webinar.